Welcome to the Living Out Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Steele. And on the show, I speak about LGBTQ social justice issues and the intersection of thinking more critically, thinking queerly, and personal growth. Now, today, I want to talk about something I've been witnessing for some time, and I'm going to pull it together in the most compassionate, but also self-reflexive way that I can present it. And I say that because this is very much observation, anecdotal observation and opinion. And built into that is knowledge of history and, and knowledge of my own lived history. So I want to talk about PrEP, the pre-exposure Pre-exposure prophylactic. Oh my God. Do I have to do a retake on that? I'm not even going to do that. I'm just going to say that I'm having trouble speaking today. Forgive me. Um, If you don't know what PrEP is, briefly, it is a pill you can take if you are HIV negative that can help protect you against uh, the transmission of the virus. So for example, uh, you might wind up having unprotected anal sex and the person may even orgasm inside of you and that should protect you from the transmission of the HIV virus. Now I'm calling this episode The Prejudice of PrEP. And you're fucked if you don't bear back. Now, I've been seeing a kind of gay male privilege. And most often it's a white male gay privilege. And I feel that it's entering this dangerous intersection of areas between health, disease control, and actual prejudice. Prejudice. Further making it more difficult and challenging for one-on-one connection and making that distance between individuals within our own community even greater. So I see this on Grinder primarily. Now, I'm not on Grinder at the moment, but when I decided to leave, this was part of it. And I sometimes go back and forth on Grinder, but it's just a distraction. But I was also getting frustrated by this continual observation that there are a lot of men on PrEP. And on one hand, maybe that's a good thing because this is, you know, one step towards controlling and minimizing HIV transmission. And while we don't have a a real cure yet for HIV and AIDS, this might be one of the ways if everyone who needed to take PrEP could take PrEP, if everyone who couldn't afford PrEP could afford PrEP or at least get PrEP paid for, we might see even more dramatic declines in the transmission of the virus. But coming back to Grindr, Grindr has a number of options so that you can select, you know, if you're on PrEP or not, but often people will then ask, it's like, hey, how do you like to fuck? And that question to me is loaded. Sometimes people will say, depending on your answer, that they were just testing you, which I find nefarious and and really just a shameful lie, because I think it's better to be upright and honest and simply saying, you know, I only fuck safely. I only fuck with a condom or I only get fucked raw. Express 
what you want and own it. But there are now many guys who are on prep who won't have sex with you unless you have bareback sex with them. And, you know, the first challenge with that is that does not protect you against STIs. And I find many of those profiles I see are people who are being more aggressive in the amount of sexual partners that they want to have. So (laughs) there's no rhyme or reason to when you're going to get an STI or not, but there is certainly going to be an increase in getting more STIs and spreading STIs if you're having a greater amount of sex. That's not meant to be judgment. That's just a statistical fact, right? So there's this kind of discrimination, a kind of a prejudice that's going on in a way. It's like, oh, you don't fuck bareback or you're not on prep? Well, no, thanks. And it came to light when I watched the the latest I guess, reboot or the final season of Tales in the City on Netflix. And there's a scene where the original character, Michael, who's also called Mouse, He's uh, 53, 54 in this season, and he's dating a younger guy who's late 20s, and Michael's HIV positive, and uh, his viral load and everything is great. There's a scene with the doctor where they're like, yeah, you're fine. Um, You know, you're undetectable at the moment. Um, And his partner has been taking prep just recently, starting to get on it, and they've been having sex with condoms. Michael is primarily the bottom, but his partner feels comfortable to be able to remove the condom and being on prep and knowing that Michael is undetectable feels like that's a safe choice. Now, I'm not going to get into the logistics of what's considered safe or safer and the negotiation of safer sex and the negotiation of bareback sex, but Michael's old school and he's in, I'm 53 and in the, in, in the series, he's 54 So he's had this, he's had HIV for quite a long time, uh, according to the storyline. And he's chosen to always have safer sex with anyone who is negative. And he can't ethically and emotionally get over. He's not ready for his committed boyfriend partner to fuck him bare. He's really struggling with it because of his history, because of his lived history. And that wants, I want to talk a little bit about like full disclosure, where I'm coming from and my sexual history. You know, I came out into the gay scene, started having sex in 1984. It was Vaseline for anal sex. I was top only at that time. And it was only a couple months later than oh, you have to wear condoms, and people were handing out pamphlets, and uh, I can't remember whether they were still unsure about um, receptive oral sex and whether or not they thought that was a problem. Things changed over those first 10 years of safer sex information and understanding about what uh, constituted very low risk and what was high risk. I was terrified. Now, I had been closeted up, up, closeted up until 18 years old, and I finally come out, and then there's this fucking disease that might kill me by having something that feels so good, namely sex. And so everything I did was safe once that information came out. Got the right kind of lube, got the right kind of condoms, tried different types. It was like... And at that time, for me, it was like, okay, no one is going near my asshole. There is no 
way in hell anyone is going to fuck me. This may be part of the reason why I've been fortunate. But it doesn't mean that I didn't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that I also never made the conscious choice to have bareback sex when there was no security in that choice, when there was not enough knowledge in that choice. Because I went through a period of my life where it was kind of kind of fatigue. I sought help with a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I forget what his exact label was. And that was related to something else that was going on in my life uh, within my family and the, the challenges I was facing with that. And thankfully, I was just lucky. So I understand. I'm not, this is not a conversation about me judging. This is going to be very much my opinion, my reflection. So please take these things as a grain of salt. And if I trigger you, understand I'm trying to be as understanding and compassionate and empathetic as I possibly can. So one of the things I'm interested in is like, what, what are the side effects versus risk? There is a quote that I will read as renowned prep educator and marriage and family therapist Damon Jacobs thoughtfully pointed out in a piece for The Advocate titled Sex with Prep, Like Life is Never Without Risk, 133 pedestrians are killed in New York City each year by cars. Just walking out on the street is dangerous. There's risk in everything we do. Well, exactly. There's risk in everything we do. And this period in history right now this kind of like prep shaming in a way, like if you're not taking prep, I'm not going to have sex with you. <clears throat> or if you're not taking prep, I'm not going to have sex with you because you want to have sex with a condom and I don't do sex with condoms. So this period right now reminds me of the HIV shaming that happened back in the 80s and the 90s. Now, gay men who were negative or who thought they were not not so much directly, but definitely shamed HIV-positive men by shunning them. And that was very visible later on when we started to have online dating profiles pre-apps. And you could read ads that said things like HIV-negative only, only safe and clean, or something similar. And the truth is that anyone could lie, and they could say they were HIV-negative or just simply not disclose if they weren't asked. Very much like a don't ask, don't tell, or if not asked, do not disclose. Now, I remember a friend of mine who was an escort who lived in London, England, was telling me the story of another escort that he would sometimes have fun with, who claimed to stick a pin in the condoms he used so he could give his clients the gift of HIV. There is risk in everything we do. I remember having sex with a guy that I met on Cruise Line, and I was actually managing that service for Pink Triangle Press. And that was a telephone-based dating and hookup uh, service, really pre-online dating, and which also predated, predates online apps. And this was very early 2000s. And I was fucking this guy with a condom, and I noticed that he had a tattoo of an AIDS ribbon. And I don't know if it was his inner thigh or, or 
somewhere like that, because it's a long time ago and I forget exactly where it was, but it was in an innocuous place that you wouldn't see until the clothes came off. And it took me out of the moment and it confronted me with my own prejudice, I guess, in that instance. It was quick, though, because I got over it. We kept fucking. We had really good sex. I thought he was fucking sexy as hell. And we both got off. Perhaps, if anything, it was just a good reminder to me that if I was protecting myself, I can relax. But I hadn't asked him prior about his status, probably because HIV had been around, what, 25 years at that time or so, and the routine of asking or being as freaked out about it had diminished. But my fears, my prejudice, or whatever you might call it, clearly hadn't diminished. Now, I'm really cognizant and interested in human behavior, and how that consciously and unconsciously affects us, our, our habits, our behaviors, the neuroscience of the brain, our thinking brain, and the mammalian brain that makes us seek comfort sometimes at the expense of things that you know we would rather be doing, but it it, it overrides conscious thought. And then you know the amygdala, that that part of the brain that really protects us and keeps us safe. Often we make choices, unconscious choices, that are not in alignment with our best judgment or our values, or when we're denied something we want so badly that affects our self-image and our self-worth and how we feel good or not about ourselves. So in this case, the denial of affection, the denial of sex based on a prejudice of any kind can lead to unhealthy choices and behaviors. So you could be denied sex because somebody thinks you're not good-looking enough or somebody thinks you don't have a great enough body or someone doesn't like the color of your hair or someone doesn't like the color of your skin or someone thinks you're too tall or too short or whatever the case may be. In the late 90s, one thing I witnessed was, was the rise of bug chasers. This is the beginning of people who were seeking HIV-positive partners who would agree to breed them and hopefully pass on the HIV virus. They wanted to seroconvert. Their desire was to just drop the condoms. They were experiencing condom fatigue. And they wanted to have what they felt was denied them. The freedom to have sex the way nature intended. And it was kind of like a giving up, giving in, and let's just, you know, let's just, we'll go on medication. So that we don't have to worry about these fucking condoms anymore. Now, this is just my opinion, but I believe the truth of their choices, of the choices of the bug chasers, to seek seroconversion was, was psychological. It's based in human need and, and, and self-worth. Layered onto their choices is the social fabric of exclusion, of being othered, of not feeling accepted for who you are as a gay or a trans man and so on. Many bug chasers were relatively public in declaring their desires in their online profiles or on forums like Reddit, and many of us took a very self-righteous approach to them, assuming some higher moral ground, when in fact, there were probably many more of us who were also secretly doing the same thing or, or longed to drop the condoms and just get it over with, or 
some guy is teasing his cock head against your hole and then you just slowly push back and let it go all the way in. Ah, should we put on a condom? Been there. This is definitely what led to the term condom fatigue. You know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years in, people got tired of it. And this just missed the the deeper human truth of, of the matter, that as an already oppressed and marginalized group, and I'm speaking here just from my own experience within the realm of gay men, now this disease has taken away our freedom to have sex however and with whomever we want. The golden age of free, uninhibited gay sex was over. We had lost what felt like the only privilege we had as gay men compared to the status quo. It makes me wonder what kind of a a universe we live in now. Like when I observe the sexual hookup landscape online or on apps, I don't know how we got here and or what's going to happen next. It used to be that many gay men would only hook up with other men who were HIV negative. For the longest time, you had to ask. Or that was just ingrained. That was taught to us. Always ask your partner about their status. And many men faced rejection who were positive on a far too regular basis. Imagine what that does to your personal psychology and self-worth, being too afraid to even date anymore because you're just afraid of rejection. But then... The apps like Grindr and Scruff started to allow users to select their HIV status or the last time that they were tested and their sexual preferences, including things like anything goes, which is just code for not only the kind of sex, but most likely no condoms. And recently options were included to indicate that you were negative on prep. And while those options are useful for making our individual sexual and health choices. The problem in, on one level is having too many choices. So, you know, when you scroll down these apps and you see all this information and what this person will and won't do, psychologically, when we're faced with too many choices, we have a hard time making a single decision. And this has been shown out in, like, research on consumers, especially in supermarkets. If you have a, a shelf for jam and you have 10 or 15 flavors, and you have five companies offering the same 10 or 15 flavors, well, how do you choose? Now, what if three of the brands are on sale for all the flavors? You've still got three brands to choose from, and you've still got 10 to 15 flavors. So compare that with the list of labels on a profile or in the individual selections from, you know, like ethnicity to height and weight and age and all that information. There's so many variables on a grinder or a scruff profile, not including what somebody says in their personal description, which may attract you or just repel you. You wonder if you'll even be considered, if you'll even match up to what that person wants and needs. I've seen some pompous individuals go so far as to write something like, apply within if you meet all of my criteria, otherwise block me or otherwise don't bother. Rude? (laughs) Yes. And a kind of decision fatigue. 
that results in people not paying attention to how not only they treat others, but how they represent themselves, which is a way in which they're not treating themselves with a kind of self-compassion. So one of these criteria, gay men or, or men who have sex with other men or trans men who have sex with other men or gay men, they will select further down in their options that they will only have sex with other guys who fuck bareback and their only requirement is that one of the two are on prep. So I could be on prep and they say, okay, you can fuck me bare. Or they're on prep and they say, whatever the hell you want, fuck me, I'll fuck you, I don't care. So things I have been told, I am not making this up. I'm on prep, so you can fuck me raw. I'm on prep, I want to breed you. Me, maybe I say, I fuck only with condoms. And they'll say, I'm on prep, so whatever. You decide. Or they say, I'm on prep. It's okay if you're not. But that still doesn't tell me what their preference is. Or I'll be asked, are you on prep? I want you to come in my ass. I want you to breed me. And this will come from individuals and I've had a discussion. I'm like, no, I'm only going to fuck with condoms. I have a partner. My partner and I make our own sexual choices, but we also choose that we're going to use condoms when we're having sex with other people. And then maybe they lead me down the garden path making it think like we're going to have some fun. And they're like, ah, but you know, I only want to get fucked raw or I want to fuck you, but I want to fuck you raw. As soon as that conversation starts, the decision on their end has been made. And for me, it's just best to leave that conversation. When I make it really clear that I only fuck with a condom, the usual responses are very few, and they're summed up as either the user blocks me, or they just simply stop the discussion. There's like, I'll be like, hey, are you still interested? Nothing. Or they'll be polite and say thanks, but I'm going to pass. Or maybe another time. I have had a few people argue and yell at me. Fuck you, asshole. Blah, blah, blah. You're so stupid. You're this. It's like... That's an interesting issue that says a lot about what's going on in that person's mind, that says a lot about the issues of the closet and gay shame and what I said earlier about having, having to deal with the fact that we can't just do what we want sexually anymore. We have to be responsible not only for our own choices, but the choices that we make and how that affects others. So what scares me with the interactions around PrEP over the last couple of years, it's become more popular, at least in Canada, because uh, generics were introduced, I believe, uh, sometime around the spring or the summer of last year. And that dropped down the price by 75%. And that actually, I noticed, increased the laissez-faire attitude toward bareback sex. And a couple of years ago, I could not figure out how guys in the 20s could afford prep when it was running $1,200, $1,400 Canadian a month. Now, I knew a friend of mine who bought it from a friend of his who had a drug plan and just gave him cash. So the guy who got it didn't have to pay for it, but got like four or 500 bucks in pocket for giving it to his friend because he wasn't using the prep. Now, one of my friends told me, well, they just order it off the black market. Like you can order like Viagra or Cialis off the black market online. I thought, you're going to trust? It's one thing to order a Viagra online and hope that it gives you a big hard dick. 
But it's quite another to take a pill and, and trust a black market pill to save my life. It's like going into a rave or a nightclub and, and buying ecstasy from the sketchy dude in, in the dark recessed corner. And you don't know what shit is in that pill, whether it's really speedy, whether it contains fentanyl or something else that might send you to an emergency ward or kill you. Now, thankfully, in, in the various provinces in Canada, because we have provincial health care and each province is different, I know like uh, British Columbia, they're working with higher risk individuals to give them prep for free. Uh, in Ontario, I believe the cost is like four or $500 a month now. Well, that's still a lot out of pocket for many people. It is certainly a lot more affordable. But again, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's a privilege to be able to take this drug. And again, without going into all of the details, this is the sort of thing that I think should probably be made widely available and for free or a very nominal cost to individuals who are considered high risk. And there's great information that you can get from more LGBTQ friendly health and sexuality clinic about how you would make that determination to decide whether you whether or not you want to be taking prep or whether or not you want to choose to use condoms or how you're going to manage your own safer sex. But this is now, I think, much more than individual risk and personal safety because many of these guys I see or who are on prep almost wear that like a badge of honor, like an overzealous flag-waving patriot. And they think, like, I'm on prep. I'm, in, I'm invincible. You know, bring it on. As many guys as want to fuck me as possible. But are they really invincible? And, and what about the long-term side effects and, and the issue of compliance? Now, there are people that are much better than me and, and, and medical professionals and, and safer sex professionals that can really detail this information. You can find this easily online, and I'll try and include some links that has some really good resources on how to properly take and manage um, these drugs. And just as a side note, I was having this conversation about wanting to do this episode with a good friend of mine, and he's a couple of years away from retirement when he'll actually get his medication for free. He's HIV positive. And after 65, at least in Ontario, uh, those kinds of medications are, are paid for. So he's been having some financial issues, though, and I didn't realize that he was having to make the choice between paying rent or being able to afford his medication. So he went to his doctor, and there's some sort of a program he could apply for, and, and he got approved. So he was given a three-month prescription for his HIV medication that cost $4,626. $1,200 a month. So when you think about Life is about risk, but what if PrEP doesn't work to take it in, in, in the proper way? So I looked up some information about um, PrEP and HIV prevention and, and safety concerns in a medical journal, journal, and I'll read the quote. The main adverse effects observed with PrEP are gastrointestinal related, basically mild to moderate nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. 
Other adverse drug effects worth mentioning are liver enzymes, renal function, and bone mineral density. PrEP as an intervention to reduce HIV transmission appears to have a safe benefit-risk profile in clinical trials. It is recommended for widespread use, but, and I'll emphasize this next part, adherence, monitoring, and real-world safety surveillance are critical in the post-marketing phase to ensure that the benefits observed in clinical trials are maintained in real world use. So we're not that many years into PrEP use, right? But what happens in 10 or 20 or 30 years of being on medication? We really don't know the long-term effects of this, or do we? And the thing that struck me too is like, what happens if you're starting PrEP in your 20s? You know, Let's say you could make the choice not to take medication and use condoms most of the time. Yes, just let's let's not worry about too much sexual risk or bad behavior. Let's just pretend. What are the psychological and physiological factors of, of taking PrEP earlier in your life when your body is possibly still developing? Like what if you were taking steroids or testosterone in your teens or early 20s? We know that has an effect on the body, both in building muscle, but in other, other things that are happening in the body while growth is still taking place. So again, some more research qu- quotes here is that PrEP can also reduce bone density by 1% to 2%, causing slight thinning of the bones. The loss reverses after PrEP is stopped, apparently. And this side effect might be more important if you already have low bone density related to other factors. And it might also be important if you're younger than 30 as your bones are still developing. And that has to do with human growth hormone and stuff. Like I said, I'm not an expert in all of this. But these are some of the concerns I have. If you're starting to take this medication in your 20s, let's say we develop a cure then you can go off the medication. But you're in your 20s, and how many years, how many decades are you hoping to live? What kind of side effects and harm is this going to have on your liver after 10, 20, 30 years? When we're young, we feel risk-averse. We feel like we are invincible and we can do anything. And, And that is one of my biggest concerns for youth, is where do they go from having started something like prep and maybe going right into having regular bareback sex, where do they go after that? Having witnessed the rise of HIV AIDS, having come out just before HIV AIDS really got its name, having been scared out of my fucking wits about contracting HIV to it becoming an everyday fact of life, The choice I make and the choice my partner has made, and and we made this one together and we have the discussion every once in a while, is that neither of us want to take medication unless we absolutely need to take medication. Because all medications have a negative side effect. Aspirin, over the long term, has negative side effects. Advil has negative side effects over the long term. Everything has an effect. Foods we eat have a physiological effect on our body. If you are allergic to certain foods, that has an effect on your body. Pollution has an effect on our body. So where are we now and where are we going in this age of the privilege of PrEP? Are we at a tipping point with all of these gay men having unprotected sex while on PrEP 
and maybe taking party drugs and perhaps forgetting here and there. And, and is this something that I don't understand that could we not see a new strain that is completely resistant to prep that becomes so virulent that it becomes the next plague? I don't know. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but I am concerned because of this way of thinking. And I'm not trying to be overly moralistic about our sex and our freedom as LGBTQ people to have, to have the choices taken away from us. I don't want our choices taken away from us, but there is a responsibility to ourselves and to our own longevity, to our emotional, psychological, and physical health, and to the love and compassion and the empathy for others within our community without creating sort of this environment of, fuck you, you know, you're not on prep, so you're not part of this crowd. It's a big open question that I'm ending this episode with, and I really welcome an engaging discussion. And if you're in the medical field, I'd love to hear your feedback, especially if you have some observations on this. And it's the sort of thing I think I might see if I can arrange an interview with someone from ACT or uh, the Hassle-Free Clinic in Toronto to talk more from a medical perspective and from a clinician perspective, dealing with individuals and the kinds of discussions and negotiations that individuals have around making um, choices that would be considered healthy for them and, and the best choices that they can make in the moment. Love yourself. Be respectful of others. Be mindful that when we exclude others, we might not realize how much not only we're hurting that other person, but we might be hurting ourselves. So live out, live out the best of who you are. Use your difference to make a difference and live proud. <laughs>